Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a returning guest from long ago, Carolyn Curley. She's a professor. Uh, she deals with conservation ecology. She's at uh, University of California, San Diego. Uh, she's the author of a recent book called The Guidance Groove, Escape Unproductive Habits, Trust Your Intuition, and Be True. So we're going to talk about that today instead of you know her other degrees and works, and, of which there are many. So welcome back, Carolyn. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to be here to talk about a passion project that I'm working on yeah. or that I've worked on. Yeah. My hope is not a bad assumption, but did you particularly have a lot of trouble dealing with focus and productivity? And was that why you wrote the book? Like, did you overcome it yourself or what, you know, what happened? That is a really good question. I'm going to answer with two parts. So, so of course, the things I write in this book are ways in which I experience the world. And so, so it definitely comes from personal experience. And secondarily, I mostly wrote the book because of my students. So so the book is called The Guidance Groove. And what that refers to is this groove that we can find in ourselves that we all have that allows us to move through the world where we don't only listen to the stories that are coming from probably our left brain, the logical left brain stories that, are, that we're constantly forming. And it allows us to sort of relax and follow our guidance, whatever that could be, our intuition, our guidance. And so I teach in this really large school of biological sciences at the University of California, San Diego, and a lot of our students are pre-med. And my particular field is conservation biology. So I work with wild animals and we try and figure out where they go and what they eat and why that matters for conservation. But I still get a lot of students who are pre-med and, and other ways stressed out biology students coming to my office hours and asking me questions and telling me, they repeatedly share with me how they are very stressed out because they are doing what society is telling them they should do, what their parents are telling them they should do, what they themselves are trying to convince themselves is the, quote, right thing to do. And frequently that includes going into industry. So so working for a biological startup type company or, or some sort of drug company or going to med school or something along those lines. And they're not really, they weren't really happy with those trajectories, but they couldn't quite wrap their heads around choosing something that felt better. Because I'm in the science field, we're really programmed and we're really taught to follow our logic, which is an amazing tool. I use logic all the time. I use logic to connect to this call and talk with you. But sometimes our logical brains, if we only turn to them for the answers, we miss the signals and the advice and the wisdom and the knowledge that's coming from other parts of our being. And frequently those other parts might be our feeling parts or actually in our bodies. So can I ask you a question? Have you ever faced a decision? Have you ever faced a decision and your logic brain is telling you it makes 
perfect sense to do X, Y, or Z. I'm, I should be going this path, but something in my physical body really says no. And I can't quite understand where that's coming from, but I feel terrible. Either I emotionally feel terrible or I actually have a stomach ache or something about my physicality feels bad if I go toward that decision that my logical brain is telling me I should go. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, it's like a gut instinct, you know? Right. Yeah, if you're unsure about something or you're like, yeah, you know, if you're being convinced to do something, your whole body won't be in alignment. So I'm sure yes. parts of you will be like, no. And, and we don't actually know what that gut instinct is, right? We, we, and biologically, we don't know. I'm reading this great book called The Awakened Brain that puts together a bunch of neuroscience trying to help us understand what it means to sort of relax into right brain thinking and, and how we measure that. And all this book does, the guidance group, all it does is give people permission to pause and listen to that voice. And how I've set it up is I've broken the book into unproductive grooves, which are when we have feelings of inadequacy or obligation or unworthiness or when we believe that resources are scarce, those are unproductive grooves that can really work and incite the logical parts of our brain into creating stories that push us away from our gut feelings or away from our intuition or away from our guidance. So for example, if you're feeling inadequate, then you might do behaviors that are not in alignment with what your guidance is telling you because you're creating stories that you believe that you are inadequate. And so the book is laid out to help people recognize when they're telling themselves these nonsense stories and help them to recognize that so they can quiet those stories and take a few moments to rest in their gut feeling and acknowledge their gut feeling and bring it to the table and give it just as much worth and weight as the logical stories that your brain is making up that sometimes are fed by these things that aren't true, that you're inadequate or that resources are scarce or that you are unworthy or that you're obligated to do something. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I was in a, one of my kids is uh, in college. She's completing her first year, freshman year. Yeah. She was taking a Japanese, teaching a five credit class. Mm-hmm. And also she had to take a math requirement. And Japanese was like every day. But at the end of the semester, she was really, really good. Uh, yeah. Man, she wasn't so good on. And she was getting really upset. Maybe I just can't do it, blah, blah, blah. And I said to her, what if you spent the same amount of effort on math as you did in Japanese? And it stopped her dead. And she's like, oh, I said, you'd be really good at it. You know. So then the next semester, she put a lot of more effort towards math. And now she's actually being offered to be a TA in math. <laughs> and other people <laughs> coming to her. And I said, Step back and look. You went from being afraid of it, not being able to do it. Now you're you're becoming like the teacher in a way. So I'm trying to show her like through her own experience, you know, I guess a, a better way to think about things and not just give in to fears and assumptions. You know, I, I like that for two reasons, for example. So the first one is perhaps she was moving toward Japanese and doing so great at Japanese and wanting to spend time in that world because that's what really lights her up. That's what builds her with joy and brings her happiness. And that's where her motivations, her guidance is sort of pushing her. So there's that's one way of thinking it. And the second way, and then and maybe math just doesn't have the same resonance with her. But the second thing you said that is interesting is perhaps she was afraid that she wasn't quote unquote good at math or something else was holding her back. So just the fact that you invited her to take a moment and consider what might happen 
if she thought about it in a larger context is so important. And that is the thing right there. Let's pause and think about it. And she may come back and say, you know, I realized that I wasn't doing as well at math because I hate math and my my future is not in math. Mm. And so thanks, Dad, for giving me the moment to pause and and see where my passions lie. And then or she might say, you know, Dad, that was great advice because I learned that I am good at math. I just have to work at it a little bit more. And now I love math. So thank you. So either way, it's a wonderful thing to pause and with our children, with ourselves, with everyone around us and give ourselves those moments to really feel into what's happening here. Why? What's going on here? Is it is it something in my brain that's convincing me of something or is it something deeper? And I love that you you guided her through that experience because I really think part of our job as humans is to give ourselves and other humans this permission to pause and think of think of things in a in a larger way like you just described. So that's lovely. It's good. Well, thank you. I don't know if there's a better alternative, but it just seems like everything is fear-based, you know? If you don't yes. in study, you're going to fail. You don't do this, you're going to do that. Get it? So yeah. that puts like, you know, well, not like, but it, it puts a lot more pressure on people. Not only are they facing whatever fears and reservations they have, but the consequences are high and they'll be they'll fail yet again if they don't do it. It just, I think it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for a lot of people. Absolutely. And and a lot of, so like I said, I set, I set my book up. So there's a, a chapter for each of these unproductive grooves. And each one of them starts, the, each one of the chapters starts with what is the fear motivator behind the unproductive groove? So for example, for the obligation groove, if you're stuck in an obligation groove, the fear motivator is frequently you're afraid you're going to be labeled selfish and irrelevant unless you remain committed to fulfilling false obligations. And that is a lot. That's one that a lot of us suffer from, especially our students. They're obligated or they feel as if they're obligated to do what their parents have told them. You're going to be a doctor or you're going to be something high powered and high money making. And that encouragement from the parents is also a lot in part from fear. And that fear driving them to make their children obligated is frequently a fear of scarcity. So the scarcity non-productive groove is driven by a fear that resources are scarce. And when you love your children and you want them to be the best they can be, but you're afraid that if they don't get the good grades and become the doctor or whatever, that there won't be enough for them, you tend to push that scarcity onto them. And then they develop the scarcity mentality, which is fueled by fear. And then they have the obligation to fulfill the parent wishes or societal wishes, etc. And you can see how it just becomes this endless loop of like exactly what you said, this fear fear-driven trap in our logic brains where we just ignore everything below our heads and we plow ahead for fear we will be left out or we will not get what's ours or that whatever, whatever the fear is. And so I think it's extremely true what you said. There's so much fear driving everyone. And again, if we can allow ourselves to pause and investigate where our motivations are coming from and we discover they're fear-based then we can go a little deeper and and calm those fears and assuage those parts of ourselves and actually love them and then move forward with a little more clarity and a little more ease without, you know, you can't, you're never going to banish your fear. That's not the goal. The goal is to see the fear for what it is, invite it to the table 
and give it kindness and affection, but not let it rule the show, if that makes sense, right? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. Yeah, well, I was going to say, though, that, you know, anything psychological, I think people, you know, myself included, everyone I think is very resistant to being told, do this, do that, you yeah. should this, don't feel that, blah, blah, blah. So how do you how do you sneak this in where it's not perceived as like, leave me alone, I don't want to talk about it, I'll deal with it myself type thing versus accepting it and working with your, you know, your book and your, your knowledge? That's a really interesting question. Usually... When I'm working with students, they're coming to me already. So it's lucky, right? They're they're coming to me already because they want to find out, you know, how do I get into your field? How do I do conservation work? Or how do I how do I get into med school? How do I do this? How do I do this? so they're already looking to me for advice? And so I just start asking questions and finding out where their motivations are coming from. And they almost always have the aha moments themselves. It's my job is to facilitate the slowing down and the consideration that they might be moving from these fears, right? And so I'm never really telling anyone what to do. I'm always just presenting an invitation to think about the way they're moving through life in a different way. And it's, it's always presented as an invitation. And quite it's quite amazing. I've taught this book now as a seminar through the biology department twice. They've let me teach it as a summer seminar to our biology students. And so the students sign up willingly. They, they have an explanation of the course before they sign up. And I'll teach it again this summer too. And, and we go through chapter by chapter. And so I'm never really telling them. And, and they're in, responsible for leading the chapter discussions. And they come to these conclusions just reading the material and sharing their own stories of inadequacy or their perceived inadequacies or their perceived obligations or their perception that resources are scarce or that some of them are not even worthy of being in the same on the same playing field as their fellow students. And once they start sharing that and they see how much each of them overlaps with the other and how much we we all are carrying these false stories something in them just relaxes and they they welcome it. And I think part of this is, so I, I, I mentioned I'm reading that book by Dr. Lisa Miller from Columbia called The Awakened Brain. And she talks about how they've discovered that this idea of spirituality, which which could be what this guidance groove is just, you know, helping people sink into, but that spirituality is 30% related to our genetics, which means we have a birthright to be quote unquote spiritual, whatever that means for everyone. And so I think people are hungry for this permission to tap into whatever is being offered in our brains, in our genes that allows us to relax 
and question the incessant chatter that's probably coming from our left logical brains and our left hemisphere and maybe relax into that right hemisphere that could be linked with this intuition, this guidance. And so so I'm never really telling students what to do. I'm merely inviting them to consider that this is their birthright to have to question these thoughts. And I believe if it is 30% genetic, as the data are indicating, then we all hunger for this permission or this invitation naturally. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think so. Like, again, you have to, like I was saying, I think you have to approach people in the right way. Yeah. So it looks like yes. the way you're doing it. First of all, they're coming to you. They don't see you as threatening or anything. Right. I mean, like, right. look, I'm not bemoaning this, but I had a lot of pretty terrible experiences going through college. You know, I remember one math teacher, I did the test and he marked some stuff wrong. And I said, yeah, I got the right answer. Here's the work. He goes, well, I don't want you to do it that way. Uh, so I still got the answer. He goes, well, that's not the way I wanted. I said, how am I supposed to know? Mm-hmm. So he was like, all right, fine. He gave me the credit. He goes, but I should have marked off on more of these. <laughs> so I ended up mm-hmm. with like a lower grade than before I went to him. You know, or I'd have teachers that you go to ask them for help and they would smile at you and say, how can I help you? And then the smile would disappear. And they were just jerks, you know, because they're like, oh, you, yeah. you should have studied more before you asked me a question. So it's just, I don't know, a lot of it just seemed incredibly negative. Yes. I, I feel like I, it affected me badly, but I think a lot of people run into that. They just, a lack of care and a lack of niceness. So there's two, two things I want to address about that. One is I hear you and I hear my students say similar things. They're they're almost shocked at the level of extreme kindness and like care I show for them um, in all of my classes. So I, I and I find that to be disheartening that that still probably exists. But I also invite them to remember that that professor who was a jerk or who didn't listen or who didn't appreciate that you came up with a different way, they were wallowing in their own inadequacy groove, right? When I talk about the inadequacy groove in my book, I talk about how bullies are frequent. I list behaviors that are emblematic of people stuck in these different grooves. And one of those is if you're, if you're believing you're inadequate, you tend to be a bully because you don't want anyone to ever discover how deeply inadequate you are. And I'm not saying they really are inadequate. I'm saying it's a made up nonsense story that their brain is telling that they've convinced themselves they're not adequate to the task that they've been given. So to deflect attention away from their perceived inadequacy, they become a bully, right? I'm going to turn it on you and turn the focus on you so that you, heaven forbid, do not discover this inadequacy I'm carrying around. And so I think also when we have these when we can see what people are doing in order to protect what they perceive as their biggest vulnerability, their unworthiness, their inadequacy, that they're just carrying around these false obligations. When we can see that, then we can understand humans better, right? So, so now you're a grown up and you don't have to go to this professor. But imagine you went to this professor as a, as a peer and you said, oh, I discovered this way of doing math. And, and then they were all, well, that's not how I would do it. You would know now, oh, he's speaking that way because he feels inadequate and threatened by what I'm saying. And you can experience empathy and kindness toward him. And you never know how that will respond, how he will then respond to that overture. And so so not only I, is this book really useful for understanding our own selves, it's useful for understanding how others are moving through the world so we can look at them with compassion and empathy. Oh, he's 
just stuck in his inadequacy groove. That poor guy, he'll figure it out. D- does that make sense? And or or that person yeah. is just acting yeah. from fear of scarcity or whatever. Well, I'm glad you take it beyond the person themselves, because right, if you don't deal with this stuff and figure it out, then mm-hmm. unfortunately you may be a lot more likely to repeat it, and then Absolutely. it keeps going and going, you know, to your children and so forth. Absolutely. Who wants that? Yeah. And so, so I'm an extremely logical thinker because I am a scientist. So I set up this book very logically. So so each chapter has a fear motivator and then it describes what the unproductive grooves are really about. And then it talks about this this ego component, right? So each one of these has an egoic component where you're protecting your perceived sense of self, right? So, you know, like back to your example with the math professor, he was being a bully to protect his ego, right? To protect his perceived sense of self as the learned professor. Well, heaven forbid this undergrad is going to teach me a thing or two about math. That's not going to happen. So there's an ego component. And you're right. All of these these unproductive grooves require us to spend some time self-introspecting and spelunking through our own psyches. And I give nice lists and examples of how we talk to ourselves when we're in these different unproductive grooves. I give examples of how they manifest in different types of relationships. So in our intimate relationships, in our work relationships, in our children, the way we talk to our children or our parents. And so you can start to read these these logical lists and say, oh, wow, I totally do that. Where's my obligation? How is this manifesting as obligation? And once you start to recognize where your behaviors are coming from, then again, it's just that permission to question them and go a little deeper to realize, again, where your fears are driving you and where you can set that aside and let your intuition or your gut instincts be at least have an equal seat at the table as the fears and those such things. Maybe you, uh, you'll be like, you know, what was that expression? Plowshares into something. It'll be uh, yes. ruts into grooves. Maybe yes. that's your thing is you, you bust well, open I, ruts and turn them into grooves. And it's funny because I talk about grooves. So, so a groove is a rut, right? We're stuck in these ruts. But a groove is also a dance. You groove to to music. And so I am encouraging people, yes, there are these unproductive ruts that we get into that are these deep grooves that require retraining and practice to get out of or to at least make them a little more shallow. And then there's this other kind of groove where you're actually grooving, you're moving with the music of your own guidance. And that is a much bigger groove, right? To imagine that you're not stuck in this narrow thing. You're actually grooving to this beautiful music that's always coming from your truest self, whatever that is. And and I think that's what I'm inviting people to do is is not be stuck in the rut grooves, but come out and dance in your in your guidance groove. That's cool. Yeah. What kinds of feedback or changes have you seen in people that have gone through your book and have embraced it? So it's been really amazing because I since I teach it, I get to ask for feedback from these students and I get to meet with them one on one. They can come talk to me afterward. And every single person that I've talked to, it's it's been transformative because for a couple of reasons. One is I am a grown up with a PhD, tons of publications in scientific literature, and I'm giving them permission to be quote unquote spiritual or to listen to something that our world, our sciencey 
engineering STEM field world doesn't talk about. So that's the first thing is I'm a grown up giving them permission to investigate this, to just consider it. And because of my position, that holds weight. They, they trust me as a logical scientific thinker. I'm not coming at them from the new age whatever field, right? I'm very grounded in practical, logical reality, but also recognizing how true it is that we get stuck in these these ruts, these grooves. So that's that's one thing. And I think that just having that clout relaxes them enough to pay attention. And so once they start to pay attention and they can trust that I'm not just a I don't know, airy fairy person, then they can, the message can start to sink in and they do start to question, wait a minute, am I really supposed to go to med school? It fills me with dread and a stomach ache when I think of that. Dr. Curley said, that's my intuition giving me a red flag. I'm going to pay attention. So, so they've stopped going on autopilot with their decisions. They've allowed these other sensations, these other signals from their body and their emotions and their feelings to at least be considered as they're moving forward. And that's all I want that is for them to relax into that. And so, yeah, I've gotten a lot of feedback and I've gotten some feedback from older people, too, who have said, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I've been living an obligated life for my entire adult life. A lot of older women who have really, you know, the childcare and the household duties and everything that falls on them, they've realized that they were putting a lot of their self-worth into doing all these obligations for nothing. It was, it, it's not where their heart lies. It's just, they thought their ego was getting a lot from being, from everyone being obligated to them, if that makes sense. And so that's come out in a lot of the feedback I've gotten. I just say it reminds me of the movie uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh yeah, uh, the mother in the movie is all these things. You know, she had all these other lives and things that, that she was reconciling it with her current life. Yes, I loved that movie. In fact, I need to watch it again because it was so good the first time, and I bet it's even better the second time because it's so interesting and confusing and convoluted. But yes, that's exactly right. Like when you wake up and you realize you've been actually hoodwinked into doing the things you thought you should do when it never really felt right, then this this is a book that helps you recognize that and also very, very lovingly encourages you to consider something else. And and I will say that this isn't really a self-help book. It's it's just a book that's an invitation to investigate this. And and we listen to our thoughts all day long. They're incessant and they will never leave us and we will never stop our thoughts. But we can learn to question them and ask, where are you coming from? Are you coming from a place of clarity and calm and guidance and intuition? Or are you coming from that place of fear that's making me feel inadequate or making me feel that resources are scarce so I better act in this less than authentic way? And it's an invitation to be more authentic with how you move through the world. And honestly, it takes practice and you have to remind yourself a million times a day. And that's part of the process of becoming more and more in alignment with your guidance groove and less stuck in those ruts of the unproductive grooves. It's just constant questioning. Wait a minute, where's that thought coming from? Should I believe it or not believe it? Well, what about calling up past experiences? Like I, I thought of this years ago, I guess I don't know if it's helpful 
cycle, but I call it the amateur to expert cycle. So what things have you done in your life? You know, let's say we're talking to a student, you know, that you started, you knew nothing and you got really good at them over time, yep. whether it's like lacrosse or nasty weaving or whatever it is, you know, talking to people. And then you could look at those later and you say, look, I've, I've been through the place where I knew nothing and I was nervous, but I got really good at what I did. So I can yeah. do that again because I have these examples in my life where I did it before. I don't know if you incorporate that or if that would be helpful. I do. So part of my work, of course, I'm a conservation biologist. We collect tons of data. That's our bread and butter, collecting data in the field so we can understand how ecosystems are put together. And I tell my students, I tell anyone, and I say this in the book, collect your own data. Think back on your life and all of the experiences you've accumulated. When did you make decisions based on your gut instinct or based on your logic? When did you combine the two? When, you know, and and start to write things down. You know, I knew I shouldn't have bought that house. I knew I shouldn't have dated that person, but I just, they were so beautiful. The house was the right price. I couldn't, I couldn't turn it down, but then it was nothing but a, a horror from then on for five years. And then I finally got rid of it or whatever. Go back to the starting point and investigate what was your intuition whispering or screaming to you that you shoved aside because logic was dictating you should be doing this and start to write those things down. Those are amazingly valuable data points. And I'm a scientist, so I collect data constantly and I take these examples from my own life and I collect them. What happened when I ignored my gut instinct? What happened when I invited my gut instinct to have an equal place at the table as my logic and then collect those stories and collect them from your friends. Collect data so you start to believe and trust that your guidance is valid, that your guidance has something to tell you, that your gut instinct is valuable. Those types of data from your life examples and those of your friends are really important. And in fact, I opened the book with an example from my friend Christopher, who is a Navy SEAL who was working in the Middle East and he was under fire for an entire day terrible situation and he managed to get his team and everyone out safely and I said well what did you do how did you get everyone out safely that day and he said I just followed my instincts all day long instinct 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 and of course he's highly trained but he barely had time to think because that just wasn't happening but then he tells the story of how many years later he really wanted to date this woman but his his brain was you know telling him wow she's really beautiful she's exactly right but his instinct was telling him don't do it you'll she'll never trust you and i said well why and of course she didn't and it and it didn't work out but that was fine that was those are data to collect and learn from and i said why would you trust your instincts when your life is on the line but you you know literally but you wouldn't in a romantic or intimate situation and he said, I don't know. And I think it's what we all do, right? But but you can collect those data points from when you ignored your gut instinct and then you can learn from them, right? And maybe it will only take you a few moments to follow your gut instincts the next time rather than a few years. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe the guy, you know, when the guy's life was at stake, yeah, he just, he reverted to that state where he went with his gut. Yeah. Otherwise he would have shut down. I guess his training yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't allow him to shut down and give up. You know, yeah, I'm sure I, they put them in situations like that. So. Yeah, but I think you're, you're, what you said about collecting examples from our lives is extremely important. And once you get more data points and more data points and more data points, then you, then you start to really believe that this tool 
of guidance is real and it and it helps to to have you know what you should do is have what? someone uh, come into the class and give a timeshare presentation i will instantly activate everyone's guts to be like get out of here and then it would give them good training on how to you know not go with oh, that's, really... <laughs> that's a great example <laughs> that's yeah. a really easy one where you're like nope get me out of here absolutely well, very cool. Is there a is there a need for a sequel, or is there just a need to get this out everywhere as much as possible? You know, I, I always feel like there's ideas brewing, and of course, once you write a book, you think of all the things you could have put in. Also, so of course, there could always potentially be a sequel because I think I think there are ways in which this could be even more specialized. So this this book is very broad, and it applies to intimate relationships, familial relationships, our work relationships, our approach to you know making decisions about all sorts of components of our lives, and. And it could be really important maybe just to zero in on intimate partnerships. How do we really drill to the bottom of following our guidance when it comes to that? And so I could see a sequel, you know, taking more of a deep dive on some of these topics to which I apply the unproductive grooves and, and the guidance groove. But for now, honestly, I'm, I'm growing the course that I teach beyond a summer seminar I'm working with folks in the psychology department to build this into something a little bigger so even more students can take a class that that provides this this sort of this help for them and that's one of the ways that we're you know I'm I'm getting to spread the word which is great and I've been on lots of podcasts like this it's just and these ideas are not new Richard they're they're in Buddhism they're in all they're all over the place and they've been around forever it's the basic idea of quiet your mind and sink into what's really true and authentic for you and invite that voice to have as much of a say as the incessant looping thoughts that just dominate our waking lives. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it should be integrating into the curriculum. You know, like, at, again, in my daughter's school, they're like, oh, if so you have any problem and yeah. you have mental issues, uh, come see us. And But it's just, it just seems like a trap and not really... Just doesn't seem like they were there to really help people, and I've I've seen examples of where uh, they just continued the same. I don't even know what you call it, but just shaming and yes, it's a pattern. And I think when we when we give our children and everyone on earth the tools to recognize when their own programming is hoodwinking them, we're giving people a gift, right? Just the invitation that your incessant thoughts can be questioned. They are not true. They're just thoughts. And when we give our children that tool to recognize that, then they can themselves become potentially less stressed or depressed or anxious when they can recognize, oh, wait, that's just that thought. I remember Dr. Curley described that thought comes from this belief in scarcity and it's just not true. Now, I'm going to calm down and listen to my guidance. And and I think when it's a form of self-soothing to recognize when you're stuck, in these unproductive grooves and then kindly and lovingly and with total compassion, help yourself out of it. And I tell a little story. People can go to my website, theguidancegroove.com, and there's a few excerpts from the book on the website. And one of them is a story about being trapped in a ravine and you're trapped in this ravine and it's kind of gross and and it's an allegory for escaping these unproductive grooves and you're climbing out eventually just becomes too terrible in this ravine and you start to climb out and you slip back down into the ravine a million times but 
each time you try, you get a little higher. And then eventually you get to the top and sure enough, it's better out there. And along the way, you learn what did I need to do to climb out of this? Who did I meet along the way that became an ally? Who did I leave behind that wasn't serving my most authentic self? How did I get here? And and it's this process that we're all doing every single day for all of our lives until we're not here anymore is getting more and more close to what is our most authentic self and out of that ravine of goop that is just holding us holding us back. And I think if we give our our children and each other these tools, then perhaps we won't need as much mental health counseling because our dearly beloved children and others will know to question those thoughts, that they don't have to believe them. And then there comes contentment. They're not when you're authentic, you're the most content you can be. But when you're stuck in unproductive grooves, you can't be authentic or content. Since you're a data lover, what what does the data say about let's do college, you know, like undergrad? When do um, I guess that what the typical numbers like thirty to forty percent of people and a lot of the programs drop out, like maybe in their freshman year. Like, where is the real trough? Where is the problem that people have? Where where does it get real with them? Where they they fail out of school? Let's say. They just have a big break or a problem. So I'm, I'm a little, I don't quite understand the question. So so you're asking what what would be the reason behind so such high dropout rate? Yeah, like when do they occur? And, and yeah, so if your program, I'm just going to say it, I think it should be required at every college there is. I think it should it should be done freshman year and then junior year. And then if you do a master's right at the beginning of that, PhD right at the beginning of that, just to reinforce these, you know, to make sure like the program's really right for you and you're not just doing it because of obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what are the triggers that you see like in your university? When are the, are the trouble spots where people really need this help, whether they realize it or not? A lot of it happens before they're even there, right? So, so our university, UC San Diego, is extremely hard to get into. So we are really selective. And I think they might be third under UC Berkeley, UCLA, and UC San Diego for the UC schools, University of California schools. And, and so our students are pretty high performing, and especially in biology. And they've already struggling with feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness, even when they step in the door. And I tell them, but but you have to be like outstanding to get here. Yeah, but but maybe I got in because I was lucky or whatever. So they're already struggling with that. And and then they choose their major. And of course, we make them choose way too early. So so who knows if they even really want to do whatever, you know, biology or whatever they're doing. And then they start to feel this un unease because they haven't allowed themselves this time to consider. So so I'm not sure when we if we can actually pin it down, because I think some of this stuff starts really early. Look at parents who are already pushing their fear onto their elementary school children that they aren't going to get into the right high school or college or whatever. And I realize I'm saying this, this is speaking from a place of a lot of privilege. So people who can spend time sort of putting this pressure on their kids. There's a lot of people in this world who don't have that privilege or any time to do this type of thing. But the students I work with are pretty privileged and they're there. And and I think the further they go forward on their path that's filling them with dread and anxiety, the the worse it gets for them. And so some some of them hit this wall and they only think that they they think I must drop out because I'm feeling terrible. 
instead of allowing themselves to consider, maybe I always really wanted to be a theater major. Maybe I always just wanted to study Japanese and go teach Japanese or teach English in Japan or whatever it may be. And I think this tool of questioning what they think they should be doing is so incredibly helpful. And to hear you say that you think it should be required is really lovely because I do too. Can it be bad? It doesn't, you know, and then again, I just, I mean, maybe I may have used distorted, but I, I just see a lot of these universities. I don't work for one, so they can't fire me. I just see them as like money grabbing machines a lot and chew people up and spit them out. So you need to have these like human yeah. resources type stuff for them. You know, you're dealing with 18 to 21 year olds or 18 to 22 year olds. They're away from home. Yeah. Their whole life has changed. You know, it's amazing. It's exciting. It's wonderful and all that. But there's a lot of new stresses. And yeah. they're not really equipped to, to deal with some of this stuff without help. So why not help? Right. And one other thing I'm going to say is perhaps we should also give our delicious, wonderful 18-year-olds permission to not go to university. That's a huge societal parental expectation for certain kids in Western culture that you go to college when you're 18, regardless of whether you know what you want to study or what you want to do. And perhaps we could relax that assumption and that pressure and allow them to go to community college for a couple of years and investigate that or get a job or travel or whatever it is that they can do rather than shoving them into this system and this program that they may not be ready for. And again, that's examining this obligation like my kid better go to university when they're 18 for whatever reason right this and and for child to have permission to say you know i think i need to pause and really investigate what i want to do before i commit to going away from home and going to a program that i'm not sure is what i want to do so again this is just it's for all of us this idea of quieting our minds letting our fears be there because we can't banish them, but recognizing them for what they are and where they're coming from. And then hopefully getting to a place of of that authentic, because if you're in your authentic path, you're not going to drop out of college unless you run out of money or some other thing comes along, right? But if you're on your authentic path and it is lighting you up, it's going to be a delight for you to be in college, right? You're not going to be plagued with depression and anxiety unless, of course, you have, you know, there are physiological reasons for those those things to happen. But a lot of them are created when we believe our thoughts and we allow ourselves to get stuck in inauthentic lives. Mm. Well, very good. Carolyn, so where's the best place uh, for people to get your book? You know, if they, if they don't go to UC San Diego, I don't think still get access to it. You can get it anywhere. It's it's for sale everywhere. Amazon, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you get a book, you can get it. And then my website for this is guidancegroove.com. And you can also just find me. There's no there are no Carolyn Curleys because my name is spelled with a it's K-U-R-L-E. And if you Google my name, that's I'm the only one that ever comes up. So there's lots of ways to get in touch and contact me and get the book. Okay. Oh, excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast after all this time. And you're doing really great work. I really appreciate what you do. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your work. And Richard, I am giving so much love and goodness to you and your daughter. And just know that she is lucky to have a parent who helps her navigate these things and who thinks about it and values these things. And I just am sure she will blossom and bloom and do wonderful things. So thank you so much for having me and have a fantastic day. Excellent. If you like this podcast, 
please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.